Amen. Well, we're going to go ahead and continue on our series on the culture of Living Hope Family Church. And uh, today we're going to talk about being a people that have been filled with the Spirit. Now, as you go through the Bible, you'll see that there is uh, different events that happen in a believer's life. And the first thing is, is when you get saved, you ask the Lord into your heart, and the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you. And that's when you're giving a new spirit. You're made brand new. They, they call it the regeneration. You've been made brand new. Your spirit's whole. You're pure. You're holy. But then we find as we look through the scriptures, subsequent to salvation, there's what they like to, what's referred to as being baptized in the spirit. Other people will refer to it as being filled with the spirit. Um, and basically it's when not the Holy Spirit comes inside of you, but it's when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you see that uh, that's when the Holy Spirit is actually, uh, you know, when I try to, in my head, I try to look at it as, as the Holy Spirit coming upon you and working through you, giving you power to do, do incredible things. Jesus worked in the power of the Holy Spirit when he healed people. That was the power of the Holy Spirit working through him. When he changed water into wine, the power of the Holy Spirit working through him. When he saw one of his disciples and said, I knew you under that tree, that was the power of the Holy Spirit working through him, operating in the different gifts of the Holy Spirit. And some people refer to it as being filled. Some people refer to it as being baptized. Depending on the denomination, they have different ideas of when this all happens. And there's a whole great big theological debate. So we're going to go through it and talk about what we believe here at Living Hope Family Church. Um, so we're going to talk about what is the baptism of the Holy Spirit? What does that mean? What does it do in our lives? How does it happen? We're going to talk about when and how you get baptized in the Spirit. And then we're going to talk about, you know, how do we know that we've been baptized in the Spirit? How do, how, what's the, the evidence of that? And finally, we're going to look, look at what the Bible says is the purpose of being filled with the Spirit. So the first verse we're going to look at today, as we begin to look at what is baptism in the Holy Spirit, is John 20, 19 through 23. So it says, So when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. The disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also sent you. You know that each and every one of us has been sent? You know, we have this idea that uh, we look at the pastor and the pastor's been called and there's something special about the pastor and he has his job to do and, and we all just sit in the, the chairs and listen to him. But the truth is, Jesus said, as I've been sent, I send you. He was talking to all the disciples in that room. There wasn't just a couple of them. But we're all sent. We're all called to be ministers. We're all called to be preachers. That's a little scary, huh? You guys know you're called to be preachers? But yeah, every day we're, we're preachers and witnesses of the people around us. You have the opportunity to share the love of Christ with people. And we're all called. And it says, when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven them. And if you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. So the reason I bring this up is we have Jesus. He's been crucified, and he's risen from the dead, and now he's, he's showing himself to the disciples. So he's not yet ascended to heaven, but he's, he's, he's being made visible to the disciples. They're seeing him, that he's resurrected. And when he comes back, he looks at them, and he says he breathes on them. And he said, receive the Holy Spirit. This is where we receive the Holy Spirit inside of us. This is when we became saved. At this point, Jesus has died. He's paid for the sins of the world. And they just received the Spirit. They believed, and they were saved. 
They were forgiven. They were regenerated. They were made brand new. And the reason I'm showing this verse now is because we're going to see later with the baptism of the Holy Spirit that these aren't the same thing. These aren't one and the same. And then he says, if you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven them. And if you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. Now this translation is kind of weirder because it kind of makes it look like that we have the power to forgive sins when we read that. It says, if you forgive the sins, they'll be forgiven. Well, I want you to know that we don't have that power. Only God has the power to forgive sins, and he did it in his son. And when you talk about there's a uh, the correct translation should be read more like this. Whoever sins you, you forgive, whoever sins you forgive shall have already been forgiven them. And it says, and whoever sins you retain or you do not forgive shall have already not been forgiven them. So, and even if you look in your Bible, you probably got a little footnote right about... <laughs> here, somewhere on have been forgiven them, it actually says already have been forgiven. And what it's talking about is, is we're proclaiming the forgiveness of sins. If someone believes and is, is forgiven and we say your sins are forgiven, we're proclaiming that because they already have been forgiven by the power of the Holy Spirit. And when someone is not a believer and they're not saved and we say your sins have not been forgiven yet, we're just proclaiming that they have not received Jesus. Therefore, their sins have not been forgiven. It is not that we have the power to forgive sins. Amen. And something else that's really amazing when we look at this, and it's so important to understand, do you guys remember in the Garden of Eden, and God formed Adam, and he picked him up, and he breathed life into him? And we see the same picture here as Jesus breathed life back into the disciples. When he picked up Adam, he breathed life in him, and Adam was a man that had no past. He was a man that was completely clean. He had nothing to be forgiven of. He had no past. Can you imagine if you woke up and all those things in your life that, that grab at you and claw at you and remember these things, and, and you know they try to creep in when, they're, when you're feeling like, how can God love me when I've done these things? How can God care about me? Does he know what I did? He knows what you did. God is not confused about who you are. But what he does is he sees who you are in Christ. And just like God looked at Adam with no past, no background, nothing to separate from him and God, when Jesus breathed on us, breathed into the disciples in the same way, he gave us a brand new life. And now you have no past. You have no background. You know, when we look at the, uh, this world is so involved in our genealogy and, you know, who's, our, who's who, you know, my great-great-grandfather did this, my great-great-grandmother did this, and we have all these, these websites out there devoted to looking up who you are. But I want to tell you something. Your genealogy goes just like this. Jesus, you. That's how it is. We are sons of God. It's God, then us. Jesus is our brother. There is no past. There is no anything to look back of that's holding us down or building it up. Everything, our entire identity, is in Jesus Christ. Amen? The next verse that we're going to look at is Acts 1, 3 through 5. And he says, to these, he also presented himself alive after his suffering. And he's speaking of Jesus by many convincing proofs. These convincing proofs, what are they? He showed up in front of them. You want to, it would be pretty convincing that Jesus is alive if he walks up to you and he says, hey, put your hand right here on my side and feel the hole and look at the holes in my hand. That's pretty convincing proofs, wouldn't you say? And he says, appearing to them over a period of 40 days, speaking of the things concerning the kingdom gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit 
not many days from now. So we go back a verse that we just looked at in John 20, 19 through 23. Jesus is saying that uh, he breathed life into them. And, and this is the, the, the Holy Spirit being received for salvation. And the next verse, this is talking about after Jesus had already ascended. And we begin to talk about being, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And Jesus says, you heard this from me. And if you look at uh, Luke 24:49, he says, And behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. This is the, the, what Jesus was talking about. He said, you heard from me. The, the baptizing the Holy Spirit, not many days from now. This is what he was talking about, where he promised him that. So we'll continue going forward and look at Acts 2, 1 through 4. Now, Acts, have you guys sat down and read the book of Acts, the early church, and you see what happened? It's really amazing to see God work in this early church. And, and we're going to spend a lot of time in Acts today as we talk about this because it's all documented there. But it says, when the day of Pentecost had came in verse 1, Acts 2, verse 1, it says, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them to be tongues as of fire, distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. So this is what Jesus was talking about. So... The reason I bring this up is I want to show that it was a separate act. Jesus breathed life on him before he ascended. He, he received the Holy Spirit. They were saved. But after he had ascended in the day of Pentecost, this is when they're all in the upper room. And it says, and suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind. They didn't feel the wind, but they heard this shaking as God was moving. Can you imagine what it would be like to feel that? Oh, that would be incredible. And they hear this, this rushing noise and this wind. And, and if you look through the Bible, you often see God's life, God's breath referred to as a wind. If you remember when, when uh, I think it was Elijah was commanded to breathe life into the bones or to speak to the bones and they came back, it was God's breath that went into them and gave them life. And he breathed into Adam to give him life. And, and the breath is often referred to with the, with the Spirit. And an interesting thing to note on this, this is Pentecost. This is the, the day that the law was given. This is the day when Moses came down and gave the law. So we find that in the Old Testament, the law was given on the day of Pentecost. And this is our, uh, the first covenant, the covenant that didn't forgive sins or that didn't make us whole and new. It was just a band-aid. And then God replaces that covenant with a newer and better covenant on the day of Pentecost. And then something else important to notice is they were already saved. We already talked about that. They had disciples already received that, and they received this second feeling, this filling of the Holy Spirit and giving them power. And they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And we read about this part in the Bible and in Acts. They, they began to speak in other tongues. And in this particular case, uh, the, the Bible gives the impression they're speaking in other languages, not... Uh, other languages of the world at that time, because there's 13 different dialects that are talked about. It says these men began to hear them speak in their own language. They began to hear them praising and worshiping God in their own language. And they're like, how can this be? All these are Galileans, aren't they? How, how is this that they're all speaking and they know all these languages? And the Spirit was giving them power to speak in another language, and they understood that. But then there's the, the people that didn't believe. There's these people that said, what, are they all full of sweet wine? Are they drunk? What do they sound? I mean, listen to them. They're just speaking gibberish. Are they drunk? But it was, it was really an amazing time 
as the Spirit gave them the word to speak. And, and we'll talk about it later, how, how tongues are given as a sign to unbelievers. But they began speaking in tongues, and it was a sign that the Spirit of God had came upon them and was doing amazing things. And then in Acts 2, 1, or 2 16 through 21, it says, but, and this is Peter speaking, and he says, but this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel. And it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth of my spirit on all mankind. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my bond slaves, both men and women, I will in those days pour forth of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will grant wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come. And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Isn't it great news that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord can be saved? It's not limited to a certain amount of people, a certain subset. But this is Peter. He's just had the Jews saying, dude, they're all drunk. They're all they're talking gibberish. What have they been doing? They've been tipping back a little bit. They're, they're, this is crazy. These guys aren't, there's nothing going on here. They're just drunk. And Peter says, he comes up to him and he says, no, listen, guys. Listen, my brethren. Listen, my fellow Jews. We're not, it's only nine, it actually says that it's only the third hour. It's only 9 a.m. Listen, we're not drunk. If anybody was drunk, it'd be more after quitting time around 5 o'clock. It's 9 a.m. We're not drunk. He says, listen to me, but this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel. Now, Joel prophesied this, this, uh, you know, the, the key in the Bible, this, this tricky stuff. You know, you can tell when it's Old Testament, when it's in caps, and you can always tell when Jesus is speaking because it's in red letters. <laughs> that, that's how we know. But this is Old Testament prophecy here. And it says, It shall be in the last days that I will pull forth my spirit on all mankind. This is Joel speaking. And I was looking into when was Joel written. Joel, they're not real sure because there's not a lot in the book of Joel. There's not a lot pointing to what was going on politically or in the time. So they're not real sure, but they know it was at the earliest written around 1900 B.C. and at the latest around 400 B.C. So at the latest, this is 430 some odd years before Jesus, before this time. And God was letting his people know this is going to happen. My spirit is, is going to be poured forth and you're going to see power. And he says, your young men... Or he says, your, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Isn't it good to know that, you know, there's this idea in the, and that people have sometimes that, uh, that men are, or the, the people of God and women have no place in the body. But right here it says that men will see, or so that I'll put forth my spirit on all mankind and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. God can use you whether you're a man or a woman, whether you're uh, in a high class with a great job or if you don't have any job at all, he can use you no matter what. God will use you and pour a spirit in. He's no respecter of persons. There's nothing that makes you uh, in the special class of people where God will work through you. And it says your young men will see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. I heard once that the reason it says that is because it's the old, it's the old guys that are sleeping all the time. So they dream dreams. The young guys are, are having visions because they're awake. <laughs> and it says, even on my bond slaves, both men and women, I will pour forth my spirit. And praise God. I'm so thankful that none of us are left out from having this, this power inside of us to have the ability to, to work in this way and have the ability of God to work through us mightily and, and, and reach the body of Christ and reach our, our brothers and sisters that haven't come to God. God can use you. And there's nothing that says 
that he, can, he cannot. Amen? So now we're going to look at the gift of the Holy Spirit. One, I want you to know this, the baptism of the Holy Spirit uh, is a gift. It's a gift from God. It's not something you earn. It's not something that we do. And it says now, Luke 11, 11 through 13, it says, Now suppose one of your fathers is asked by his son for a fish. He will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he's asked for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? And if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? What makes a good father in this life? Have you sat down and have you ever thought about what makes a good dad? You know, he's, he's loving, right? If you have a good dad, he's, he loves you. He's going to put you first, even above him own self. He's reliable. When, when your dad says he's going to do something, if he's a good dad, he's going to do it. If he says he's going to be there, he's going to be there. He's honest. He's not going to lie to you. He's always going to tell you the truth. When you ask your dad something, he's going to be honest with you. He's a provider. He provides for you. A good father will go out and, uh, and he's going to make sure that his family's fed. He's going to make sure that his family has a roof over their heads. He's going to make sure that they're taken care of. And he's going to discipline his children, right? A good father takes discipline. He, he, you know, we call it, today they like to call it tough love. It's not tough love. It's just love. That's love, not tough love. But he's going to discipline his children. He's going to make sure that they're prepared for life. He's going to make sure that they're doing the right thing, not because he likes to hurt them, but because he wants to make sure that they're successful. You know, that's what we see makes a good father. He's going to take care of them and be honest and reliable. You know, and he provides. The Bible says that if, if you don't provide for your own household, you're worse than an unbeliever. And this is men we're talking about. And what makes a bad father? Pretty much the opposite of all those things, right? He promises he's going to be somewhere and he's not there. He tells you one thing but says another. He doesn't take care of his family. He's worse than an unbeliever. He doesn't provide for his family. And, you know, the, the word used here is a father, but I think this can apply to mothers as well. I mean, we're talking about, this is Mother's Day today, the day we celebrate mothers. All these qualities make a good mother as well, make a good parent. You know, mothers care for the kids. They're compassionate with them. They, they tend to their wounds. And they, I mean, mothers are, are incredible, incredible in so many ways. And, and in a lot of ways, they're capable of stuff that, that as men, we just don't get. You know, and they're, they're, it's, it's really amazing. And I'm so thankful for mothers. But we're talking about what makes a good parent in this aspect. And for one thing, you know, it says... If you give him a snake, or if he asks for a fish, will you give him a snake instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will you give him, you won't give him a scorpion. And it's just like that with us. You know, if, if your kid was in the hospital and they needed a blood transfusion, and he's saying, Dad, you have my blood type, I need a blood transfusion, you're not going to give him a quart of mortar oil. You know, you're not going to, as, as, as parents, we understand how to be good parents. And that's really, that's God living through us, that we are made in the image of his likeness. But he says, if you then, being evil, and he's referring to, to man before they're saved, if you're saved, you are no longer evil. But if you're not, you're born uh, with the sin of Adam propagated down through the generations. And, and it says, if you then, being evil, know how to get good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Do you ever notice that sometimes we, we, we tend to tell God how he should be doing things. We seem to think that, I mean, we know how to be a good dad. You know, God, this is how I would do it if I was you. We begin to tell, to tell God how to be a good dad. 
you know, and, and God, you know, I really need this thing. And I, I think, you know, if I, was, if I was a dad, I would give this to my kid. And we began to try to explain to God how we would do it better. Have you ever, is it just me? Maybe it's just me. Maybe I've just told God how to, I could do things better. Probably nobody in this church. But, uh, you know, we, we do that. But, but here we've got uh, Jesus saying, look, if you know how to be a good parent, and you know how to be a good parent, don't you think that God's going to be a better parent than you, a better father than you? So he says, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? What he's saying is, if you ask God to give you the gift of the Holy Spirit, he's not going to give you a demon. He's not going to give you a bucket of rocks. If you ask God for the Holy Spirit, he's going to give that to you. Now the good news is, as we look at this, this is when Jesus was still alive. The Holy Spirit had not been given. He's telling the disciples that pray for the Holy Spirit to be given to you. Now I thank God... Now, the Holy Spirit's already been given. We don't have to ask God to give the Holy Spirit. It has already been given. But we do ask to receive it. That's where our part comes in. By faith, we receive the Holy Spirit. Amen? So let's keep on going. In Acts 2, 38-39, it says, Peter said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. There is a lot of stuff to unpack in this verse. A lot of different things and different ideas and theologies and what some people will say. And, and, and so we're going to take a look scripturally. What does this verse say? So first off, it says, repent and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Get it out in the open. Baptism does not save you. Peter is not saying that in order to be saved, you must be baptized. But, Pastor Wayne, that's pretty much what it says. It says, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. But what you have to understand in this culture, in this time... Have you ever you noticed when we have someone new here that, I, that I'm not sure if everyone's saved, I give an altar call. I give people an opportunity to respond. Well, back then, that was how they did an altar call. If you were there and you were, they gave you the opportunity to respond to become a believer, they just, dunked, they just baptized you right then. And it wasn't the baptism that saved you. It was your belief in the, in the Jesus Christ as the Lord your God and Savior that saved you. And this was their chance to respond to their faith. And it says it's for the forgiveness of sins. When we get baptized, it is us associating ourselves with the death, resurrection, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. When you're put underwater, it's like you're died and being buried with Jesus. And when you raise out of the water, it's symbolic of us raising out with newness of life. We are coming out of the grave, being buried into newness of life as a brand new person. Per- person? Person. And... That's what baptism represents. Now, I'm saying that baptism isn't necessary for salvation. I just want you to know that if you haven't been baptized, but you believe on Lord Jesus Christ and you were to die, you would still go to heaven. It's not uh, required for your salvation. And there's a couple of verses that mention salvation and baptism at the same time. And for one, Paul one time in, in the New Testament, I forget, I forget exactly what it is, it's, it's, escape, it's escaping me right now, but he says, he says, I thank God that I baptized none of you. Says, I can remember only the jailer. Remember the jailer? He baptized the jailer when, when they believed. He said, but I, I can't remember baptizing anybody else because the Lord didn't send me to baptize, but to preach the word of God, to preach the gospel. 
Now, as believers, the word says, be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. As a disciple, you need to be baptized. That's part of us being obedient to God. He says you need to be baptized. But I just want to make it clear that baptism is not what saves you. Your sins are not forgiven by going in the water. You're not washed clean by the water. You're washed clean by the, the finished work of Jesus Christ inside of you. Amen? So I hope I was clear on that. If you ever have any questions about it, talk to me about it later. And it says, and then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So first, again, saved. And then you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This, this baptism in the Spirit, the filling of the Spirit, is subsequent to salvation. And then it says, For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far, far off. And that's good. We're like, this, this is for everybody. This is for, this is for everybody with no exception. You, your children, and even all who are fall, far off. God's not holding anything back. And then, and then we read, But as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. You know, there's a... There's uh, uh, people out there that believe that, that God and his sovereignty have chosen a select group of people that will be saved and a select group that won't be. He has, he's gone out there and he's picked who he wants to be saved. And they use verses like this where it says, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself to point out that, oh no, God's just called out a certain amount. It says as many. So God's only picked a subset of people. And you know, some of them believe that if God's picked you, there's nothing that you can do. You're going to be saved. There's nothing to it. You can't, re- you can't uh, reject it. You're going to be saved. And, and if God hasn't picked you, there's nothing you can do. You can't be saved. And, you know, we can go through the scriptures and then we find that's just not true. It's taken verses out of context. Because it says, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. So it's, okay, God's going to call a certain amount of people. Well, how many people is he going to call? Well, in 2 Peter 3.9, it says, The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. So does that, does that seem like a God that only wants a subset of people, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance? Well, let's look at even similar language. Jesus said, and he says in John 12, 32, he says, And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. And he was speaking about the way he died. If I'm lifted up, as he was lifted up on a cross, he would draw all men. I want you to know that salvation is for everyone. It is for all men and women. God has called all of us. Yes, I believe it is as many as the Lord called, but there's not a subset. God called us all. We all have the opportunity to be saved. There's no one that is bad enough that God won't save. There's nobody that's done something so horrible that he, can, he couldn't be saved. You know, I often ask people, uh, do you think Hitler could be saved? Do you think Hitler could be saved? I mean, this guy, uh, yeah, it's tough, right? Do you think Hitler could be saved? But then I look, and I look at Paul's life. Did you know what Paul did? Paul was like, created the Christian Holocaust at the time. Paul was killing Christians left and right. Paul was, by our definition, in a lot of ways, equivalent to what Hitler was doing. The Christians weren't the chosen ones. It was only the Jews who were chosen ones. We're going to kill off all of them that are, that are being blasphemous to our God. Paul, I mean, it says that, that he, he held the coats for somebody as they stoned Thomas. He was there when Thomas was killed. He was called Saul then. And then Jesus sets them apart on the side of the road and says, is it hard for you to kick against the goads? Is it hard for you to go against, you know, basically what the Bible is teaching? Is it, are you, if you need to take a second step back and read the Old Testament, and you'll realize it testifies of me. And Paul was saved. 
Now, if Paul can be saved, and I know Hitler could have been saved. I don't know that he was. Probably wasn't. I don't see any evidence that he was. Uh, he accepted Jesus. But what I'm saying, the point I'm getting at is there's nothing that anybody can do to not be saved. You, you have somebody in your life that you're like, man, I, I, I really hope they can come to God. But man, they've done some rough stuff. Well, God can forgive them. And if you feel like, is there anything in my life you know, that would hold me away from God? Is there anything that God wouldn't let me in, that he wouldn't love me for? I want you to know there's nothing that Jesus didn't pay for. There's nothing that, that you have done or that you will do that wasn't paid for in Jesus Christ. Amen? And it is for everyone. Now let's look at Acts eleven fifteen through 17. It says, And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them, just as he did upon us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he used to say, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Therefore, if God gave to them the same gift as he gave to us, also after believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? So now, Peter has gone to Jerusalem to talk to the apostles. And what happened was, Peter was sitting up in an upper room, and he has a vision of a sheet coming down. And there's all these, what they, you know, what were unclean animals, according to the law. There was ravens and, and all these unclean, unclean animals. And Jesus, or God says, get up, kill, and eat. And he says, never, Lord, I've never eaten anything unclean. And then it happens again. The sheet comes down, filled with unclean animals. And, and God says, get up, kill, and go eat. And he says, but I've never eaten anything unclean. I won't do it. And then it happens a third time. Sheet comes down, get up, kill, and go eat. He says, I never have eaten anything unclean, Lord. And the vision goes away. Then he hears a knock on the door. And he goes down, and it's some people from, uh, uh, I think I wrote it down. I didn't. I forget the name of the city, but it's from another city. And it's Cornelius has sent his, uh, Cornelius, who was a Roman soldier, he was part of the Italian, or Italian battalion. <laughs> I think that's why they call it Italian cohort, but Italian battalion. And uh, he's, a, he's a soldier, but he's a Gentile. He's not Jewish, but he fears God. It says he fears God. He's a man of God. He prays to God. It says he prays continuously to God. He's always giving alms to the, to the poor and to the Jews. I mean, he, he believes God, but he, uh, he understands that his salvation is not in his religious works. It's not in his religiosity. His sal- he knows there's got to be something more. It's not these things that I'm doing, even though they're great things, I pray continually and I give, I give uh, alms to the poor. And these are good things, but he says, I know it's not enough. And he begins to pray. And an angel comes to him and says, I'm, going to, I'm the answer to you. God has heard your prayers and we're answering it. And so he sends, uh, he sends his buddies down to go get Peter. And Peter now understands the visions because now he's got some Gentiles knocking on the door and he said, my master had a vision to come tell you to come preach to us. So, and the thing about Cornelius is awesome is, is he realizes it's not the religious things that save you. He realizes there's got to be something else. So then, uh, Peter goes and he preaches to them and, and they get saved. So now he goes to Jerusalem and he's answering to the apostles there because they haven't got got it quite figured out that salvation is not just for the Jews. They haven't really understood that the salvation is for the Gentiles, the Jews, everybody. And they're like, what are you going and preaching to the Gentiles? What are you doing that for? They're not God's chosen people. We are. And Peter says, 
Well, but as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them just as he did upon us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he used to say, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. It says, therefore, if God gave to them the same gift as he gave to us, also after believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I who could stand in God's way? These people got saved, but... In salvation, we don't, oftentimes we don't see anything. You know, when you when you accept Lord in, into your life, there's really no evidence other than we we don't we can't judge a man's heart. We just all we can see is the fruit of their labor, the fruit of their works, and we see and we can make you know we can judge if we think someone's saved. But that's not ours to judge. It's, it's God judges a man's heart. But what was shown as proof that these guys had been saved and then received the gift of the Holy Spirit that they were baptized in the Holy Spirit? It says He gave them the same gift. After believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that could stand in God's word? They begin to, to speak in other tongues. They begin to, to, to see the Spirit, the, the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit manifested in them. And, he, and this was the, the sign that was given to them. The Holy Spirit fell upon them. Amen? And, and now we're talking about, uh, you know, how do you receive this gift of the Holy Spirit. How do we do that? We, t- we learned what it is. It's, it's the power of God coming upon you after salvation. But how do we receive it? And then in Acts 19.6, it says, When Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. Once again, we see that not the Holy Spirit in them, but the Holy Spirit coming upon them. It's uh, the Holy Spirit working through them. And it says, Paul laid his hands on them. Now, Paul doesn't have magical hands. It's, if you want the Holy Spirit to come on, you don't need Paul to lay hands on you. But what you can do is have other believers pray. And I'm going to give people that if they haven't been baptized in the Spirit and you want the opportunity to do so, we're going to take that and give you that opportunity today, and I'll pray for you and I'll lay hands on you. And it's not my hands aren't magical. But what it is is, is it's an opportunity for you to release your faith. It's an opportunity to get connected with God. When, when someone lays their hands on you and they touch you and the power of God is released, it's your opportunity to believe in what the Word of God has, has to be said. And the same thing happened here. Paul came down and he laid his hands on them and they released faith and the Holy Spirit came on them. And how did they know the Holy Spirit came on them? It says, and they began speaking with tongues and prophesying. When the Holy Spirit is received, the gifts of the Spirit are manifested. And we talk about the gift of tongues being the starter gift of the Holy Spirit. And there's nine gifts of the Spirit, speaking in tongues, the word of knowledge, word of wisdom, healing, prophesying. There's a whole list of gifts of the Holy Spirit. But the first one that everyone gets is the speaking in tongues. And it says in 1 Corinthians 14... Paul is talking to the Corinthian church and he says that tongues are a sign for unbelievers. Prophecy is a sign for believers. But the gift of tongues is a, is, a, is a sign that God is working in your life to unbelievers around you. They see that God is manifesting himself in your life. And then in Acts 8, 14 through 17, it says, And now when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that... Heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. They prayed for them to receive the Holy Spirit. I want you to see that the Holy Spirit is not something earned. It's not something that you have to read your Bible six times a day and, and pray three times a day facing a certain direction. Or There's, there's no, nothing that we have to, there's no um, uh, checklist, there's no you know, set of procedures we have to follow. We just have to have faith. And when someone prays for us, we might receive it. We believe that we'll receive it. It says, for they might receive the Holy Spirit 
for that he had not yet fallen upon them, any of them. Something else I want to point out, and just he, the Holy Spirit is not a thing. The Holy Spirit is not a force. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Godhead. The Holy Spirit is a he. It is God. When Jesus talks about sending another, he's talking about sending, the word there used is the same. I'm sending another that's exactly the same as me. It is God. The Holy Spirit is God. It is a person. He's the third person. And it says, for he had not fallen upon any of them. The Holy Spirit had not. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So they had simply, I think I, was, I find it humorous. So they had simply been baptized. Salvation is awesome. That's not a simple thing. That's fantastic. These guys that weren't believers are now believers. They've been made brand new. It says, but they've simply been baptized, which, like I said earlier, was their altar call. It says, and they begin laying their hands on them. Once again, we see that we're laying hands on them. We're praying and releasing faith. And they were receiving the Holy Spirit. You know, in this part, this is down in Samaria, and Simon, it's talking about Simon, who was a, a magic user, he was a sorcerer, and, and he had been down in Samaria amazing all these people with his magical arts. And, uh, you know, here it doesn't say that, that they were beginning to speak in tongues. It doesn't say anything like that. It just says they were receiving the Holy Spirit. But in the next verse, it talks about Simon. It says, Simon saw that the laying of hands resulted in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Simon saw something was happening, even though we don't have it exactly recorded. But Simon was able to see this was happening. In every other place we look in the Bible, the reason that they could tell the sign that they were being filled with the Spirit was speaking in tongues. <clears throat> and that's what we're going to get to, is the evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It says, For they were hearing them speak in tongues. In Acts 10, 44 through 47... It says, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message. And all the circumcised believers, just referring to the Jewish believers, who came with Peter were amazed. And because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also, for they were hearing them speak with tongues and exalting God. Then Peter answered, surely no one can refuse the water for these to be baptized who has received the Holy Spirit just as we did, can he? So this is... Uh, before the last verse we were talking about, the last verse Peter was talking to the apostles. Um, he was defending what had happened here. So this is when actually Peter went to Cornelius in his household. He's preaching to Cornelius. And it says, for while they were here, or uh, uh, it says, after Peter was still speaking these words, he's speaking words of life, he's speaking the gospel, he's preaching the gospel to them. It says, the Holy Spirit fell upon those who were listening to the message. They believed what Peter was saying, and then the Holy Spirit fell upon them. And it says, all the circumcised believers who came with Peter were amazed. Now when Peter got up to visit Cornelius, he brought six Jewish believers, six circumcised believers. In the law, if you wanted to have evidence of something, you brought three witnesses. So Peter's like, I'm doubling down. I'm bringing six. And he brings six people to see what God was doing. And it says they were all amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. And now Peter, he's, he's not quite got it. He hasn't quite, he understood that the reason why he came there was because God said, whatever God considers clean, you consider clean. No longer consider unclean. And that's what he was talking about. The Gentiles and that vision. You know, God considers them clean. You don't consider them unclean. But he's still getting his head wrapped around that. The circumcised believers are not quite sure what to think about until they see it happen. And then Peter says to them, can we refuse them water to be baptized? Can we refuse them? Now, they had already been saved because they believed and the Holy Spirit fell on them. 
but can we refuse them water to be baptized? Can we refuse them the opportunity to express their faith, to express their association in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ? If they've received the Holy Spirit just as we did? This was an important time in the, in the, in the New Testament. In the book of Acts, the early churches, they were beginning to see that God is not a respecter of persons. Salvation is not just for the Jews, but it's for all the Gentiles. And the evidence that was, often, that was offered up so many times was they began to speak in tongues as evidence of their being baptized in the Holy Spirit. And then in Acts 2, 4, it says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. And in Acts 19, 6, it said when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Spirit come on them and they began speaking with tongues and prophesying. You know, we begin to look to the book of Acts every time, nearly every time that the filling of the Spirit is talked about. The first time people are baptized in the Holy Spirit, it's given as evidence as they spoke in tongues and some of them began prophesying as the Spirit was giving them utterance. So, and the times that it's not mentioned, like I said, the one time where uh, Simon, the, the magician, was there, it says he saw something. So we know something happened. And then Paul, when he was on the road back from Damascus, he had something like scales over his eyes, and he gets led back to his house. And then uh, Ananias has to go talk to Paul and lay his hands on him. And it says, when Ananias laid his hands on him, the scales fell from his eyes, and Paul was filled with the Holy Spirit. But it doesn't say Paul spoke in tongues. But if you go look in 1 Corinthians, Paul says, I thank God that I speak tongues in tongues more than all of you. Paul spoke in tongues. And that's why we refer to this as the, the starter gift of the Holy Spirit. This is the evidence that you've been filled and baptized with the Holy Spirit. But what I want to point out with is, I think when I was younger and I began to read about the gift of the Holy Spirit, have any of you guys seen that movie Avatar? You guys watched that movie Avatar with your kids? Have you seen it? You see, have you seen him have the, you know, the Avatar come upon him and his eyes go all blue and his head lights up and he's, you know, he gets taken over? In my head, the gift of the, that's how the gift of the Spirit worked when I was a kid, you know, when I was learning about him. Because it was this, you know, if you operated in that way, you know, it's God was going to take you over, your eyes were going to roll back and glow, and God was moving your body like a puppet or a marionette. You know, God's doing these things for you. But we read here, it says, and they begin to speak with other tongues. They began speaking with tongues, but the Spirit gave them utterance. I want you to know when you speak in tongues, it's you are talking. You're letting the Holy Spirit give you utterance and talk through you, but it's still you. And the Bible says that the gifts of the or the spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophet. It's not God's not going to overtake your will. If you don't want to speak in tongues, you're not gonna. You know, God's not going to force you to do anything, and He's not. He's not going to take over your over your body and do it for you. We have to make the choice to begin moving our mouth. And I remember when uh, when I got first filled with the Holy Spirit. I've been saved for a long time, and I was at a men's retreat some years back, and and uh, I could, they, they preached this, you know, the same message, and I began to look what the Bible said about speaking in tongues and being filled with the Spirit, and I, they asked me if anybody would like to come up to be prayed for, come up. So I came up and began to pray, and, uh, you know, it, it was, it's hard, you know, it's, you're full of fear, you know, what am I doing? This is crazy, you know, it, it was weird. But I got up there in faith because the Word of God says this. So I got up there in faith and I began to lift my hands and pray. And, and they said, you need to begin moving your mouth because God's not going to do it for you. And the Holy Spirit began to, to give me utterance. I began to, to speak. And 
But it, it's weird, you know, it's, it's not really fully formed. You, you see new believers when they first get a hold of this, it's, it's just, they call it this, the stammering lips, you know. It's because you're, 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 getting, you're, getting over, you're getting over that fear. You're letting God work through you. But we do it in faith. You know, there's times when I first started doing it too, sometimes I was just making noise. I wasn't doing it in faith. I was just, just yabbering. But we do it in faith, and it's God speaking through us. Amen? No, we're going to actually talk about that. <laughs> See, this is the one of those things I'm glad you asked, because you actually asked. <laughs> actually, right now we're going to talk about that. <laughs> in 1 Corinthians 14.2, it says, For one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands, but in his spirit he speaks mysteries. And then in 2 Corinthians 14, 14, it says, For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. When we speak in tongues, you know, Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians, he's actually, there's a whole uh, few chapters on dealing with the gifts of the spirits because the Corinthian church were so excited about what was going on with the gifts of the spirit and the moving of the spirit that they just got out of control. And they're having church services and everybody's speaking in tongues. The whole congregation, hundreds and hundreds of people are just, it sounded like a, a noisy gong, clanging cymbals, Paul refers to it. And he walked in and nobody was benefiting him. And the truth is when you speak in tongues, it says you're speaking to men but not God. Matter of fact, in Romans it says that uh, the Spirit intercedes for us because we don't know how to pray as we should. And it also says that we speak with, we speak, we speak with groanings too deep for words because it's, it's this, this prayer language as we speak in tongues as, as the Holy Spirit is, is giving us utterance, we begin to pray to God. And Paul says that, that the mind, you know, the Spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. When you pray in tongues, you're edifying your body, you're edifying your spirit, but your mind is not getting this. When you pray in tongues, you know, we're going to get to heaven one day and and we had no idea what we were saying when we were praying in tongues. We're doing it completely in faith. And as the Spirit gives us utterance, and there's going to be stuff that would have happened in our lives, but we began to pray in the Spirit and didn't even know that we needed to deal with something. And God was dealing with something in our lives. We're going to find out that, that as we were praying for stuff. And there's been times I've been praying in the Spirit, and I'm wrestling with something. I know something, uh, you know, something is happening. I have no idea, but I can feel that there's something going on. And I think we're going to find that there's times that when we get to heaven, we're going to finally understand what was said and see that God was moving through us being obedient and praying in tongues as the Spirit moved through us. But yeah, we don't understand what it says. We don't know what we're saying. And it's, it's to edify God. It's to, to lift Him up. And then Paul goes on to speak, and uh, I won't spend too much time on it because it's not really what my focus was today, but I'll probably do... Uh, an entire sermon or maybe just a Bible study with everybody on speaking in tongues, just dealing with that. But, uh, you know, Paul, Paul says in Corinthians that, that if in the church, and he's not talking about our private time, our prayer time, but in the church, if you speak in tongues, that only a few people should do it during the service. Because, like I said, in this Corinthian church, the entire church is speaking in tongues. No one understands what's going on, and no one's being edified. There's no fruit happening for the people. And Paul said that, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than you all. But in the church, I desire to speak five words in an intelligible tongue rather than thousands in an unintelligible. You know, he's, I would rather do that because when I prophesy... When you seek the gift of prophecy, you're edifying the church. So when we're in a church uh, uh, a 
corporate setting like this, you know, you never, you'll never see me up here preaching a sermon in tongues because that's not going to do anybody any good. I won't understand it. You won't understand it. And if somebody walks in, they'll think we're all crazy. It doesn't do anything for the kingdom of God. And truthfully, it would be crazy because it wouldn't do anything for any of us. But in your alone time, in your prayer time, or you know, you, sometimes you hear it when I'm worshiping, I'll worship in tongues. It's not for you, but it's for my God. And that's where that comes in. But in the church, it says if someone's going to speak in tongues, there's also a gift of interpretation of tongues. And it's not a translation, it's an interpretation, which is why sometimes if you've ever heard someone, they'll, they'll, preach in, or they'll speak in tongues and someone will translate it and the, they spoke in tongues for, for five minutes and the translation is two sentences or vice versa. It's, not a, it's an interpretation, it's not a direct one-to-one. But we're getting into a whole different subject and much more in depth. But no, we, we don't understand it. We, and it. And that's not the point. The point is our spirit is praying. Our spirit is talking to God. That new spirit that we have inside of us. The Holy Spirit giving us utterance. But it is done in faith. Amen? <clears throat> so now the last two verses we're going to look at today is, is why are we baptizing the Holy Spirit? What, did, what was the purpose that God had with this? You know, why, why do we need this gift? Do we need it today? Is it relevant today? You know, a lot of people believe that the gift of the Spirit was just for the New Testament church. And there's a scripture in, in uh, second, 1 Corinthians where it says that, that eventually tongues will be done away with and the gifts of prophecy will be done away with when the perfect comes back. And a lot of people will say, oh, the perfect meant the Bible. And when it says the perfect comes back, when the perfect is here, they're talking about the Bible. And we can look at the, the wording that Paul used in the Greek, and it, it doesn't really indicate the Bible is talking about when Jesus comes back. When Jesus comes back, we're not going to need the gift of tongues. We're not going to need the gift of prophecy or the gift of healing because we'll all be in heaven. We don't need these spiritual gifts in heaven. But we do need them today. I think we need them today even just as much as they need them in the, in the, in the book of Acts. But it says, Jesus says, Behold, I am sending, this is at Luke 24, 49, Behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you. But you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. We are clothed with power when the Holy Spirit comes on. When we are filled with the Spirit, that is God's power giving us the ability to, to do things that we can never do on our own. We see people get healed by the gift of the Spirit. We see, we see faith growing. There's the, one of the gifts of the Spirit is the faith, a supernatural faith that you can never have on your own. We see words of knowledge, words of wisdom. Um, we see the gift of prophecy. But what Paul says is all these gifts are for the edifying and building up of the church. Matter of fact, edifying was actually an archaeological term in those days. It was literally to build up, and they were building houses. They edified it. They made it stronger. And that's what these gifts are for, is to build the church. When we prophesy, and, and the gift of prophecy isn't speaking of, of knowing the future. It's not speaking of, of uh, there's a Taco Bell going to be built here in 2012 at 2 p.m. You know, it's not that kind of seeing the future stuff. Prophecy is used to edify the church. When you, when you go to somebody and say, you're a mighty man of God and you're going to do great things for the kingdom of God. That is prophecy. You're speaking into someone's life and building them up and edifying them. You're going to be a preacher someday. You're going to have God work through you. That's, that's, that's God uh, using the gift of prophecy to build you up. When I say you're going to be a preacher someday, I'm not pulling that out of thin air. We just talked about that, right? Remember we talked about the verse that we're all called? Yeah, you're going to be a great man of God. And we speak into each other's lives. That's prophecy. It's not... Uh, you know, it's not that you're going to meet uh, so-and-so at 2 p.m. and you're going to be a great influence in our life. And, and, 
you know, there is a gift that deals with knowing, knowing that kind of stuff where God reveals mysteries. That's the, the, word of, uh, the word of knowledge. God does give that to people. And, and, and I've, you know, you'll be praying for somebody and God will give you a word to speak to them and you know something about them that you could have never known otherwise. That's that, that word of knowledge. And the word of wisdom, the gift of word of wisdom is, is, is when you're given, you're given uh, instruction or wisdom for somebody that could only come from God. You couldn't have had given them this, this advice any other way. But we see all these gifts used to build up the church. Now, do you guys think the church needs to still be built up today? Do you think these powers, this stuff that God gives are important in the church today? I think they are. You know, and that's the whole purpose of these is to, to let us grow as a congregation and reach more people. As we build up the church, we'll be able to touch more lives for Jesus Christ. Amen? And the last one we'll look at is Acts 1.8. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. There's that word, come upon you again. And you shall be my witness, both in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and all Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. You know, our Jerusalem is, is Marana. That's our city. Our Jerusalem, this is, we're to be witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria. That's our, our region, or maybe our state or country. That's what Jesus is talking about, or what uh, is being talked about here is, is the, as that's our region that we're in. And then and even to the remotest part of the earth. And that's as we send out missions to cover the entire earth. It's all covered, and we're all responsible for it. You know, there's, you may not be responsible for every, every bit of it yourself, but as a body, as the church of Christ, we're responsible for reaching the entire world. And it says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witness. We're, we're given this power to be an effective witness to the world. We're given this power to continue to build and edify the church so that we can be effective at reaching the lost. And I don't know about you, but I'm excited to see a time when I can say, just like in the, the, the book of Acts where thousands were added to their number daily. And I praise God and I thank God that we will see that. I thank God that as a church, Living Old Family Church in Miranda, that we're going to see thousands of people getting saved and that we're going to be used to impact the lives of men and women for the body of Christ. And we're going to be able to preach hope to people that have no hope. We're going to be able to tell people that, that you can be healed, you can be prospered, and you can have all your needs met and you don't have to not have hope. You don't have to worry about where you're going to go when you're going to die. You don't have to worry about what does this world mean because God loves you and he has a plan and purpose for your life and we can be a part of that and these powers are for today and i thank god for that gift amen